0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Russell Case. Oh, hello. Hi, so nice to see you here today. (laughs) And we are joined by someone very special today. I met her my first trip to Mysore in 2004, and that was definitely not her first trip to Mysore. (laughs) Um, She was and is a mentor and a guide in all things Ashtanga-related and Ayurveda-related. And this is Lisa Shrimp. So hi, Lisa. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Hey, you guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's so nice you could be here with us to to uh, have a little chat about your experiences with India and the practice, and even before that, because something that a lot of people don't know about you, I think, um, is that you were an incredible what would you say modern ballet dancer.
1: Yeah. I mean, I love dance since I was a little girl and, um, I studied and practiced with Joel Hall, who is like downtown Chicago, like this amazing black African, tall, gorgeous man. And, um, then from studying with him, I, I really just like the rhythm. You know, dance mm-hmm. is really about rhythm to me. And so um you know, I was planning on going to college and normal stuff like that and then uh Alvin Ailey, uh his company kind of came to town. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're in New York City and they had auditions and you know, that was really what turned me on was was dance and so I auditioned and I got a partial scholarship and off I went to New York. Wait, City. Wait,
2: wait, you're from Chicago?
1: Yes. Are Should
2: you like I a count? Chicago, are you a Chicago person? Or are you, or are you like a suburban sh- Chicago person?
1: Well, I'm kind of both because, um, I lived in the suburbs and then kind Which of one? about, uh, Glen Ellen. Okay. And then about the last year and a half that I was in high school, I was traveling downtown every day to study with these, with these dancers. And right. um, I also got a job down there at um, Water Tower Place. And sure. so, and so I was kind of, you know, like already living this kind of uh, city life, even when I was 16 and 17.
2: That's so crazy. Cause I, I studied ballet in Chicago Oh and I, yeah. And I was told that I didn't have any rhythm. <laughs> and I had like, a, like they said, like, wow, you've got a really beautiful line. Like it's re- they always put me up front, but then it was like, you really can't dance at all.
1: <laughs> you know, they're, they're brutal. They're brutal. Right? Like, yeah, have, <laughs> have this way of really like, if you think there's something good about you, they're going to like definitely tell you, no, you're wrong. <laughs> it's so crazy, isn't it? That, Ballet
0: dance culture—it's—it's really—it's
1: um, hardcore. It,
0: yeah, it makes you really tough, but also it sometimes like breaks you.
2: <laughs> I, yeah. I had this—I I heard it was like it's like NFL boot camp, but with less food.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't a ballerina. I was like they said I was too old to be a ballerina. You know, oh, like really, like, yeah. When I was like. 13 or something. They were like, oh, yeah, you're oh, <laughs> too old.
3: Oh right.
1: They are like, you should have started when you were four. <laughs> right. Like, and we should have started breaking your hips when you were four. But it was really <laughs> like ballet. I liked ballet. It was fun to some degree, but it was really more like that Black American jazz dance that I really loved.
2: Okay. And it, you're if people don't know you that you're kind of like a, like a human version of a gazelle and, and so like you're really long limbed and did that suit what you were, you were doing to be that long?
1: That's sweet of you. That's a nice compliment. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. You're very graceful. Oh, you know, you should see me in the kitchen. I love, I absolutely love to cook, but I am like a tornado. I just go in that kitchen and it's like, I really have to remember, it's like peace is the way because I can just you know, easily destroy a kitchen really quickly. In fact, a lot of my friends and relatives don't like me to cook in their kitchen. But thanks for the compliment. Um, so yeah, I, you know, like there's this part of Africa, well, there, I think there's probably lots of parts of Africa that, that the, the, the people are very tall and slender. And um, I'm thinking Senegal. And, um, so when I actually moved to New York City, I used to take these African dance classes at um leslie's Dance and skate do you have you guys ever heard of that place? Uh-uh. No. no oh my God, it was so cool. Leslie was a roller skater, and he was like this um you know middle aged white short guy who loved roller <laughs> derby and, and, then, and then paired with Leslie dance and skate was like all these incredible people from Africa coming to share their, their wisdom and their um, experience and their moves. And so it was like, you'd see like the African dancers leave and then the roller derby people come in. Oh and wow. it was like, it was like everything I love about New York city.
2: That's so wild. So punk. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> so I and actually fit in like the way I looked, I mean, you know, of course the color of my skin was a little light, but um
0: yeah. yeah, my body
1: was not um, an antagonist to the to the uh, dance.
0: And Alvin Ailey, I mean, that's a that's a big deal. He's his company is, I mean, still is probably one of the best modern dance companies, right, in the world.
1: Well, I think so. I mean, they they move me deeply, and I mm-hmm. I actually ended up. Um, Uh, getting into another company that was very much like them called Nanette Bearden Dance Company. And Nanette Bearden was, um, the wife of Romare Bearden, who was, no,
2: that's what I was wondering if he was Romare Bearden's wife.
1: Yeah. Oh, he's
2: so good. He's so beautiful.
1: Yeah. So, um, so again, it was like all black. I was the only white person in the company. And it was, um, it was a really fantastic experience, but in the end, this is kind of near where I kind of ended my professional dance career is, um, I was just getting injured, you know, like it was just so much work for, you know, of course I had other jobs and, um, I would get injured and I didn't really, I didn't really want to perform, you know, it was like, I love doing it, but the whole idea of, okay, now you got to do it your best time, get on stage, you know, like, I just (laughs) think there was something about that. And that's kind of interesting, because that's why I kind of got shifted into yoga, because it wasn't performance orientated, it was really about exploration. And so I was pretty blown away by the first yoga classes that I took, even though I had like this... I had an entry into my body for sure. I just didn't have the archetype and the teachings to go into that next fourth or fifth dimension or whatever we call it. Um, so that was really a, a great transition for me. Even though it was kind of sad, you know, in some ways I was injured, and so that was the reason why I was quitting. But then um, I was—I learned about this other science that really turns, still turns me on.
2: That's so, it's so interesting because I had thought on your bio and on your website, you talk about uh, the demands that were being placed on you in dance. And I had this kind of fantasy that it was a bit like Harmony's story. You know, Harmony had had gone to to New York, if I'm not paraphrasing, Mm -hmm. had gone to New York to to think about uh, dancing professionally there. But like she was thinking like she might end up dead from, you know, an eating disorder mm-hmm. and so it's, it's a very different kind of demand that you're talking about, just like physically brutal.
1: Well, I, I mean, Harmony, you're just so strong and you have a totally different body type. And I think that, um, you know, there was a lot of negative feedback to women who weren't like, I mean, I just, I'm naturally super skinny. Like I try to gain weight. Whereas, you know, a lot of great dancers, you know, they don't have that constitution. And so it was, you know, again, very brutal, the kind of um, demands that people would ask, which I guess that's what I'm um, hearing is that people were asking you to lose weight.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was a that was a big, a big push for sure, is there was a lot of Uh, pressure to be very thin Mm -hmm. and also my love my love was definitely sort of ballet oriented so it was even worse you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think like in the modern dance world there's a little bit more open-mindedness towards different body types and
2: um, like the, like Misty Copeland, for example, has a, has a more muscular body type, and people are coming to accept that kind of dance.
0: I think I think views are shifting a little bit now, for sure. But
1: oh, definitely, yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I go into like a lingerie store, and like you know, the pictures of the models are like this wide range. And yeah. um, I just think, thank God, you know, we, that we've gotten to this point. I wish we've gotten to that point in a, in a lot of different ways that we haven't, but I think for sure with women's bodies, there's a huge change.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's coming slowly, but surely.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah. So how did you end up finding yoga then? You were injured and did you seek out yoga because of your injury or was it something you were doing already?
1: No, I had a really good friend who was uh, also an Alvin Ailey um, student. And she said, you know, you got to come to this yoga class with me. And it was in Alphabet City. It was um, above 7A and, you know, like five flights up. And it was like a recording studio slash they would have some weird classes there. And so this is
2: near Tompkins Square Park near there. Yeah,
1: yeah. Just um, like right on the corner, 7A, Seven A. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so in that first class, our our teacher was Tara, and um, David and Sharon of Jiva Mukti Yoga were in the class. And um, but, but
2: not teaching; they were just students.
1: They were like sitting next to me, basically. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there were probably like seven people or something, and um,
3: wow.
1: yeah, it was like a long time ago. And, um, and I got (laughs) really hooked, but it was really this cool thing. It wasn't like addicted in a kind of a negative way. It was like, I was young. I was in my early twenties at that time. And so I just was having a great time in New York city. I would quit my like, um, discipline, my yoga, I mean my, um, dance. And so I was like, I was feeling very free and the yoga kind of enhanced that feeling, And then I was, you know, I was partying, and you know, I was out late at night, and so um, I just basically dipped my toe in, and it was like a massage, and so it, so I started coming to yoga, but not regularly, not nearly even every week. It was a very slow um, entry that I had, and and I think that that was really healthy and probably, you know, after leaving dance, it was, it was a good thing.
2: But That's such a tough neighborhood. I mean, you would have to be like stepping over like needles to get to class at that point.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I'm a kind of a tough girl. I, I moved, <laughs> to, <laughs> I moved to New York city when I was like just turned 17 and um, I kind of finished high school a little bit early to get this scholarship. And I lived in hell's kitchen and then, um, you know, like I, I've had so many different jobs in New York City. I feel like New York City is safe to the person who lives there. And yeah. it's it's more dangerous to the, the tourists yeah. or the person who just has a lot of fear. Like I had this one job at um, a nightclub and I would get off at, I don't know, 2 a.m. or something. And I'd walk across the city to go home, you know, like. I was probably a little bit intoxicated anyways at those days. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, hoo, hoo, hoo. I just walk all my way home and, you know, like I never thought anything of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes, like, I think if you're walking with confidence and you feel like you know the place, uh, there's less – you're less of a target. You know, if you're walking, looking I, like you're lost, exactly, then you're more of a exactly. target.
1: <laughs> yeah, you That's kind of have cool to actually. act like you know what you're doing.
2: Yeah. The, we, we got, it, when I'm, my first year in school in Chicago, we were given training on how to walk by the, <laughs> the yeah, the student uh, advisor, the student advisors came in and gave us a lecture on how to walk briskly and to really wave your arms <laughs> <laughs> and to really walk down the street in that you'll be less of a target. And I was like, wow, okay, that's cool. It's, it's just, I, I love thinking about how, how you use your body in space can really affect how people, you know, look at you.
1: Yeah, and I, I tell you, whenever I've gone to India, I've always thought to myself, You know, somebody wants me to be alive because if they didn't, you know, like I would have definitely, you know, perished because I mean, that's the ultimate scary, challenging place. I mean, for me, like, I mean, I love it, but, um, you know, like you're in rush hour, you're on one of those stupid bicycles and like, there's everything on the street, you know, there's these Mack trucks, there's these cows, there's bicycles, there's tons of scooters, I mean, it's, it's like how this, this is no accident that I'm alive.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, how did you, how did you get there from, from Tara's class? Like what, what was that, what was that process like?
1: Well, really it was David and Sharon, you know, because this woman Tara was fantastic, but she was so not like, um, you know, go ahead, forward and conquer the world type of yoga person, which there certainly are a lot of those type of people. And um, so she kind of like, she was really on the sidelines and David and Sharon really loved the yoga and they were much more uh, foot forward. And so they started um, teaching and they were very kind to me. And especially the first time I told them that I was thinking about going to India, they really took me under their wing. And when I got back from that first teacher training at Shivananda, well, actually, even at that teacher training in Shivananda, that was like 1990, they said, Come to Mysore afterward. We're meeting this holy yoga teacher named Patabi Joyce, and you've got to come with us and, and practice. And I was like, Sure, that sounds great. But the thing was, my partner at the time was meeting me and it was kind of like the beginning of the end of our relationship. And Mm -hmm. I just didn't feel like, I don't know, maybe this is codependent of me. I just didn't feel like um, subjecting him to us slightly deciding to break up and me being really involved in something that he wasn't in India. You know, it just felt like this is too much. So we just, him and I just traveled like South India And we did the Temple Trail, and then um, David and Sharon invited um, Guruji—that's what I call him, uh, Patabi Joyce—to New York. I think in 1994.
2: Okay, so that so there was a a gap there. You, You 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 saw a poster like, let's go to go to India, go to the Shivananda Ashram, sign up. Like, how did that even happen?
1: I think, you know, there was some years uh, where I was kind of dabbling in yoga and this from the first class with Tara to uh, kind of being sheltered by David and Sharon or nourished. I'm not sure if shelter is the right word. <laughs> Probably <laughs> both. Uh, Probably both. Yeah. yeah. But I, I moved to, to L.A. for a while and I was taking classes in these different places. Like I remember this one gym. It was like an outdoor, indoor, like garage gym. And they had like this, you know, off yoga class. So it was like, I was kind of dabbling in yoga for a couple years. And then, um, like I was back in New York city and David and Sharon, um, had this 10 AM class that I used to love. And I would be like, I just love it because as soon as I'm finished with that 10 AM class, like my hangover is totally gone. (laughs) (laughs) amazing. Yeah. You know, it's a- like it was like this hangover cure for me. And so I, you can see, I was still kind of dabbling with it. Um, but I think for me, like parting and getting high was s- still this very spiritual quest. I just didn't know it was spiritual. It was like I was trying to get high. And yes. so um, that shifted over the next dec- uh, yeah decade um to being more really um immersed in the teachings and the practices of yoga.
2: That's that's such a crazy um hypocrisy, isn't it? That like you can take acid and opium and hash and people say, "Oh yeah, that's a spiritual pursuit," but if you if you if you, you know, snort coke, then suddenly that's not a spiritual dis- pursuit and you're like just a um, loser, a, a loser, <laughs> right? It's it's like it's, it's something unfair about that. Um, yeah,
1: well, I tried it all. <laughs> I, <laughs> I really enjoyed it, but also because of my body constitution, I just I couldn't be a drug addict. You know, thank God, because my constitution would not permit it. It would just like so? you know. Oh, I would just be like, you know, like if I would do something, uh, uh, you know, like even just drink, if I would get drunk to the point of getting drunk, which might mean three drinks or something, then <laughs> <laughs>
0: because, because you're so
1: thin, <laughs> I felt like there was something in my constitution. I've always been kind of like weakling a, a bit of a weakling. Like my mom, right. when I was a young girl, she was like, I just. I just was so worried about you, Lisa, like you couldn't even open the car door. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, so I think um is just my It affected you more. Yeah, which you know was in one way a plus, but in another way, the next day I really felt poorly. Um and it could go on for days, and that's why um, you know, the yoga class, the 10 a.m. class, it was hopeful that I would get there because I would feel like such a relief afterward. Like I didn't have to go through having a hangover.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of an amazing revelation too. When you start to realize that like this activity you're doing, you know, is creating sort of a negative sensation or feeling in you. And then this other activity is actually creating a remedy or a positive sensation. And it seems, I mean, it was sort of similar for me too, when I started practicing, it was like, sometimes these behaviors like drinking too much and, you know, partying, they just kind of fall away because you um, lose interest in them.
1: Exactly. And that's what Master Patanjali tells us, you know, about Vairagyam. He says, I'm not I'm not going to even paraphrase, but there's this time, <laughs> <laughs> there's this moment where you just like, no, I just, I don't want that, you know? And there's still some, what the seed, the samskara is still there. And so, yeah, like sometimes, you know, people unravel drugs in front of me and there's definitely the, the samskara of like, Ooh, you know, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. I might get interested, but I think at this point in my life, I just, I know better and I want something that's more reliable because I really, I mean, that's my fantasy is that I don't have a whole bunch of negative, um, some scars in my mind and I don't think negative thoughts about myself or others. And, and so I don't think I'm going to get that way, um, with the practice of intoxicants.
0: Right. I like how you said that, the practice of intoxicants.
2: Yeah. You have to practice. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, you have to practice. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a it's a road that some amazing people have gone down and and done a lot of, you know, work with yeah. that. I mean Ramdas. Yeah, but
2: Richard Alpert, sure. It's yeah. right.
1: But it's not um, you know, feasible for everybody. I don't think um, I mean, Leonard Cohen too, he was like off his ass, like so much of his brilliant career. Like if, Mm. if I was like that, I just wouldn't, you know, I mean, it's hard enough for me to maintain normalcy when I'm not doing drugs. So I think that, you know, that's tough for some people. (laughs) Yeah.
2: It's interesting. You know, I've heard that in, um, in AA or, or I'm not sure where I heard this actually, but that uh what separates an addict from someone who's not an addict is is that drugs don't work as well on the addict and so they have to take a lot more to feel something and then um they end up having an addiction issue because of there the the drug is still in large quantities in their system they just don't they don't feel it
1: yeah yeah that's interesting i i I haven't heard that, but I have noticed, um, that I have a lot of people that were in my life or still are in my life that have huge, like just amazing amounts of, um, ability to, to ride the waves of drugs.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So I'm actually really grateful that I'm not one of them. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's a, it's a blessing, isn't
1: it? Certainly, certainly. You know, I mean, like we're going through so many incarnations and just yesterday I found out about my, my really good friend, her cousin, who I was not close with in any shape, way or form, but we were sweet. Like when we were together, like there's, I I really loved him and he just passed away of an overdose and it's like, he was clean for so many years. And, um, yeah. You know, like he was, in, he was in Hunan. He was in China because he was a translator at the time of COVID. And then, you know, he had to be in quarantine so much. Then he came back here and he had to be in quarantine so much. And so this isolation is, you know, so devastating to so many people right now.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really hard. I think we're all feeling it to certain degrees. But if you have already, like you say, that seed uh, towards, you know, seeking pleasure from some external kind of substance, it's definitely sort of a recipe to have it spark up and start growing right now.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, I I totally believe he's like around me, right? Maybe he's right next to me right now. But because it's the soul incarnation. And so we have these lessons, you know, and this lesson, maybe I was a drug addict or this lesson, maybe I was a prostitute or this lesson, this lifetime I was, you know, a yoga practitioner. And so we make these huge differentiations in, in like, you know, who's, who's a, who's a person to, to deserve love, but it's like, oh my God, this is just such an important time to give as many people as we can, as much love as we can.
0: Yeah, mm. for sure. So let's talk a little bit about your first trip to Mysore.
1: Oh, it was great. <laughs> Did
2: it you go there so with fun. David and Sharon were you, were you, as a team?
1: No, this was, um, I guess it was just like one year after I met Guruji in, at Jiva Mukti and Guruji was so funny. Um, he was so cute so like and-
2: 95, something like that when yeah. he came there. Yeah. yeah okay.
1: So, um, of course, you know, he's always like, when, when are you coming? So, you know, I'm, I totally <laughs> fell for that line. And, um, <laughs> and so then the, yeah, it was just a year later that I met him. I, I went to India and, um, I went by myself and I went for two months and, um, I stayed downtown Mysore and I stayed in, the, I forgot what the name of the hotel was, but it was like the first morning I woke up getting ready to class. It was like, there were these rats, you know, in the hallway and the, the, the hotel was locked. So I couldn't get out. And there's like, it's Not
2: not any different from New York then. <laughs> <laughs> no, like you're right I mean, at home.
1: Yeah, well, it was scary, you know. Like, and it was, um, you know, I had the early shift, so it was like all in the dark. And then to, from that hotel all the way to to Lashkipuram, it was like a forty five minute walk. And so, oh
2: you um, walked.
1: Oh yeah. Oh my god. You're such a boring. New Yorker.
2: And oh then God, on wow. the
1: way, I saw this, like, um, tea stall. And there, <laughs> and, I, and there was only men in there. And, of yeah. course, I stopped, you know, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, I want some chai before I practiced. And, then, um, and like, nobody blinked, you know. They, they just all, like, totally accepted me. It was so cool.
0: That's nice. Did they, did they
1: stare unblinkingly or did they (laughs) respond? No, it's like, I'm not like you, Harmony. Like (laughs) I can go really unnoticed and. um,
0: (laughs) Well, the dark hair helps in India for sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it was really great. I felt really um, like I was in the right place at the right time. And then when I got to the studio, um, you know, there was only one slot left of the 12 spaces And it was like, you know, I was on one of those rugs where you're like half on, half off. Yeah. And um, (laughs) then Guruji, like as soon as I got on my place, he started chanting the invocation. And then as soon as he finished Om, or we all finished Om, like the bell tolled five, five o'clock. And it was just because that was like, um, you know, that was about the time that people started, 4.30. And then he would chant at five. And I, I imagine that changed a little bit later on.
0: I think it was I think it was always about that. Maybe it became fifteen minutes earlier.
1: Yeah, but it was such it was a brilliant break. morning.
0: Yeah. But I think that was kind of like the routine that he kept the whole time, mm-hmm. it seemed to me.
1: Yeah. Right. And it's still pretty much like that, isn't it? Five o'clock chant.
0: Yeah, I think so.
2: Yeah. But it but the the clock is, was always wrong. 10 yeah.
1: minutes fast. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> I love that. But I that. think students kept starting earlier and earlier like like at 4:15 in the morning or something. Oh, but Right, I think, right. I think the usual time is about
1: 4:30. Yeah, I remember that there got to be even when I was there the first time there were already, you know, a good amount of students. And so when I was leaving, there would be a queue. And then I remember that I kind of had to make this decision. Like, did I want to like get ahead of the queue and come earlier? Or did I just want to like, I kind of remember that Guruji told me to come at that time, but you know, it could be wrong. Um, So then I kind of remember being like, well, I want to get there early, but I don't want to like, you know, change my schedule that much. So um, the same thing, like the last time I was in Gokulam, it was just, you know, it's such a crazy scene at that moment where they open the doors and I just wasn't really into that. Like (laughs) I didn't want to push and I didn't want to be pushed. Yeah, to get to and Minova there's a lot Scott, of pushing, you know. Right. It's just, yeah, it, it just got weird. You know, that's the thing with institutions; like, it gets weird. You know, it gets <laughs> to be there's the cool people, there's the deserved, there's the undeserved. Like, why did why did that person get that assist? Like, you know, it's like, oh my god. You know, it just becomes too much of divorced from what we really all want, right? right.
2: Yeah, and and was it like was it different than on say your tenth trip than on your first trip as far as that that the the people forming cliques and forming like uh, elitist structures?
1: I definitely feel for me like my karma saw it that way, but I think you know like that's my karma. Like some people just go there and they have a great time and they don't pay any attention, or they don't need to pay attention to that, but. Um, the first time that I went, I felt like I really had like my, my relationship was was with Guruji. Like it was a really, like, that's what I worked on. And the people around were all like the same with me. They, they were having a relationship with Guruji and then, you know, when he would have conference or when we would meet for lunch, it was all very, it, it felt very innocent and i wish i could have kept that you know i guess we all want that you know when we go into something it always feels pure and innocent and then things change and you start to kind of wonder and the negative mind starts to creep in and the ego and so then these um this innocence gets kind of lost i think yeah
2: hmm and did you did you feel that like that that same thing was happening at the Jiva Mukti Center?
1: Oh, I mean, like, definitely. Like Jiva Mukti was so cool when I was practicing there. It was just like David and Sharon did all these amazing things. They brought like I mean, we had Bhagavan Das and um uh, Krishna Das like doing our weekly Kirtan. Jay- right Jay- <laughs> right. Jayutal, like and there how many people would be in Kirtan? maybe 20, you know, and then we would have, they would get these, like, I don't know, like Sikh people. And, and then the, um, I'm the whirling dervish guys, like all these like incredible spiritual teachers from different, um, backgrounds, lineages, customs. And we would just have the best spiritual, um, joyful gatherings and then of course you know like it just got difficult because i think it was the time around when they were codifying like yoga practices and bikram was saying this is bikram yoga and all that kind of stuff and um what happened is i think david and sharon wanted to say hey we have a a practice it's called jiva Mukti yoga and it's not a shtanga. And so that created this huge divide. And I think that was right around 98 when I left. So it was really good because I didn't have to choose. Um, but there was this huge thing. Like before it was like always there was Jiva Mukti Yoga and there was Ashtanga, all in the same house. You know, and Jiva Mukti Yoga is amazing. And David and Sharon are amazing. And, and they've blessed so many people with their hard work. But it definitely became like a choice. You either do a stanga, you go elsewhere, or you're a jiva mukti person, and you have to take so many classes and you know whatever, go through the rigmarole.
0: Right. Yeah. It's funny how. I mean, it's it would be lovely if if it didn't have to be this way. But whenever there's sort of like a group of people uh, that are coming together and, and like you say, institutionalizing something or, or even just trying to organize something, you know, (laughs) it's like always these systems come into play and then it's like the politics kind of show up. And, and it's, I think it's just our human nature.
1: Well, it's the ego too, right? Because we have this form, we have this name, Nama Rupa, right? And then we have consciousness and it's like, we all, got to these practices because we wanted to experience consciousness awareness um the template that included everything and then what happens right is you know our small self pops up and says hey i want this Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. exactly
2: the small the small self does that in a big way (laughs) wow
1: I mean, it's just good to like be reflective of it and laugh at yourself because, you know, like it's happened so many times, you know, I've been the one and, and especially as a teacher, it's like trying, it's hard to be a teacher. It's hard to like have that be authoritative and yet be soft and yet be yielding and, and also just, you know, be all these things. When actually, you know, I'm, I'm not a liberated being and I have my needs as well.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a difficult balance, isn't it? (laughs) To keep, keep kind of your ego out of it, but also hold a, hold a space and, and sort of be the person that people are asking questions to, right?
1: Right. Do you find that harmony?
0: I enjoy the teaching so much. I enjoy the practice of teaching and, and being in that space and just sort of facilitating people's growth and, and watching them grow. And I think over the years, when I first started teaching, I think I was a lot more attached to things being done a very specific way, which I think lends itself more to that ego coming up. Right. Right. Because you're trying yeah, (laughs) you're like differentiating all the time and discriminating and also sort of, you know, when you're younger too, you kind of have to like prove that you're the one, you know, who knows how to do things properly, I guess. Um, and I think as you know, throughout the years, it's, I've become much more laid back about these little differences. It's not as, Yeah, it's not yeah. such a big deal. I, Russell, <laughs> miss, how about you?
2: I miss those days. <laughs> w- early on, um I was in um I was in New York with a guy and uh, I was still occasionally uh I would go over and I uh, and see Russell or Christopher Hildebrand over at Jeeva Mukti and so I was oh. So I yeah I
1: I love Christopher.
2: Yeah. I big big he's a big bear of a man, and I really I liked him too. And and if Russell and Petri I mean if excuse me, if Guy and Petri were closed down for the day, I'd go over and see those guys. And there was a lot of um there's a lot of Jeeva Mukti energy in New York for sure. Mm
3: -hmm. Um
2: and so I want to ask you one more question about that. But just to, just to answer your answer, what you were asking is that um, I left there and went over to England to teach yoga and I got a gig that I was really geeked about uh, having a job for the first time in my life. <laughs> and I, I guess that was 2004. That was the first time I ever had a job. And and it was amazing because I, I, those people in England were so stubborn and so, um, and I was, and I was myself so rigid that I probably, I kicked an English person out of my class, like forcefully, <laughs> like once every two weeks, <laughs> I would just point to the door and I would say, out, out, <laughs> you, out. And, and now like, Fifteen years later, I like I don't I never do that anymore, but I kind of miss it. <laughs> like I you miss know, being that rigid sometimes, and like uh, I really just want to knock the teeth out of these people when them out the door. <laughs>
1: well, I think we all learned too this kind of top down teaching style, right. you know, like and and it's not been the best I think for me because I just don't believe in it unless you're pretty damn enlightened, you know like it just is going to cause problems down the road. And so I think that that was hard. Like with Guruji, it was definitely top down, right? But um, like for me, I know, of course, this is a big area of contention, but for me, I loved his top down. I believed in him. I believed that he knew me better than I knew myself. And if he told me to do something, I'd better do it. So like for I love that kind of um, intensity, but yeah, you know, you kind of have to really know the person and that it's going to be helpful to them.
2: You yeah. kind of have to be a bottom with a top down approach. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's confusing. <laughs> so, uh,
2: well, you know, it's something that I missed with like, with like, I love Richard Freeman. I, I, I think he's such a, a beautiful, beautiful man, but I, I often sort of felt like, he could be a bit more forceful in his approach.
1: <laughs> Richard <laughs> yeah. is so amazing. Like I took his first teacher training that was three uh, months long. Oh, and, wow. And, you know, like you don't really ever get an answer out of Richard. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. is this supposed to go this way or this supposed to go? And then he'd give you this long philosophical discussion. But then it was funny because John Friend and him at that time were oh, very you- close. Oh, you were and-
2: there when John was there.
1: And so John came and gave a workshop and it was like, John was like the opposite. He like was like thighs in, knees out this way, this way. There you got the pose. And it was like, whoa, these guys are, they, at that time, they were such good friends and they were so opposite, you know? So crazy. I practiced
2: (laughs) with John Friend in Taiwan and uh, I had a little bit of an attitude because I, my boss told me that I had to go. And he smelled me the moment I walked in the room and he just fucking lit into me for 20 minutes, every single thing that could be wrong. I was doing it. And I, and I knew what was going on. And I just like watched it. I didn't fight back. I didn't push back. And once he kind of realized that he wasn't going to get like uh, a whipping boy or (laughs) like uh, an object um then he just kind of like he just like released and and then started praising me i said oh this is really interesting this guy is really really good at this of cultivating yeah. uh cultivating a cult cultivating uh followers
1: yeah yeah i mean i don't know i i never was really in in that arena but i do feel kind of like people went which happens so much. They went from calling him like their savior, their teacher, their master to like he was dirt in the in the, you know, yeah. in the street. And I just yeah. hate that because it's yeah. like what? Like look at your own life and look at all the things that you've done that might not be you, you don't want to put them in the highlights in the newspaper or whatever. And I just feel like I don't know the story, but I just feel like, you know, aren't we yoga practitioners? Like maybe, yeah, maybe he shouldn't have the cult, maybe whatever, but couldn't we just kind of let go? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's such a, it's, it's interesting, right? That how quickly, uh, people's allegiance switch When public opinion is no longer shining on, on someone and yeah. I'm, you know, yes. It's like
1: nail him to a cross because yeah. he had affairs and I don't yeah. know, I don't even know what it was, what he did, but it's like, come on people. Like this isn't the stone age.
3: Yeah.
2: But that actually kind of reminds me of the, the other question I wanted to ask you, which was, you know, when I was with the, the Joyce foundation, we had a, um, uh, an employee, Holly, who made a lawsuit against Jiva Mukti. And, you and I, I remember being struck at the time, like, this is such an incredibly personally distressing story for everyone involved. And I'm not, I wasn't really sure that I should know about it. Uh-huh. And yet, like, it's in the newspaper. And it's, and then everyone involved gets crucified, everyone. And it's, it's just an incredibly horrific. I I have to imagine it'd be an incredibly horrific thing to be involved of, involved in. It's just suddenly, yeah, be canceled.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, that was like with one of my very dear friends was involved and um, you know, we're all, I mean, we come to yoga cause we're, cause we're slightly injured, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, and then, and then we look up to somebody because they're our yoga teacher and we just give them so much access to our being. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's nothing we won't do for them. That's how I felt with Guruji. I never felt abused by him though. Um, And so I think it's like, as yoga teachers, you know, we have to really maintain that um, distance that you're not my good friend, you're my student and, and I love you, but, you know, you have to maintain that um, boundary. And so I think, um, I think boundaries were lost. I'm just guessing this is, you know, from what I hear. I mean, we never really know. In, I mean, we never know anything really. Ill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's so many sides to the story, and there's so many perspectives. And, um, you know, it's really hard. And I think that Jiva Mukti went through several, um, you know, accusations of abuse. And, and um, probably almost every yoga teacher has come up with at least some student saying, you know, the way you gave me that assist hurt me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's horrible. But you know what? It happens. And like, if I'm going to really help somebody, if I'm really going to be powerful, that power can easily kind of go haywire, like my kitchen, you know? (laughs) (laughs)
3: Like,
1: you know, you can like do things with this great intention and they end up really hurting somebody. And so, um, you know I think that as yoga practitioners people need to also develop their own sense of self that healthy part of our ego that um you know is protective and is going to say wait I don't think this is the right thing for me to be doing with this person Yeah mm-hmm. I came yeah, to the them first. can the ego
0: can It can, it can help us. It can, it can be, it's there for a reason, right?
1: Right, right. And if you're coming to somebody for like this spiritual journey, and then they want to have dinner with you and they want to have whatever, you know, isn't it kind of your responsibility to say, you know, no, I can't do that. I'm just interested in class. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's, it can be really confusing, especially like, so you want to take the whole class out and we're all going to go on a field trip as a kind of bonding exercise and then, sudden, and then some students kind of gravitate to you more than others and some are more shiny than others and you want to speak to them more than others and now suddenly you've got this elitist dynamic going on that was, you're trying to build your community but if you're like, like, guy was very different. Like he would just he was so remote from us in New York. Uh And that can also be a thing that can alienate your students. Like how do you Guruji is there like he's offering up conference in the afternoon, creating opportunities for people to meet. But it also creates attachment, at the same time and specialness.
1: Well, I don't think so. Like if the conference is really about the yoga. And if you're going there for the yoga, you know, like the yoga is the practice and it's non-attachment. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we just, we have to let our students know that it's not just about being, um, flexible and strong and pretty and, and, you know, being able to knock out the first series one day and the second series (laughs) the next day, you know, like, it's it's kind of like everybody's responsibility, isn't it?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah,
1: yeah,
0: I think definitely I think those were excellent points about um, you know there's there's responsibility on the teacher not to cultivate the dependence of the students, um, mm-hmm. but and also not to become dependent on their students, right? Mm-hmm. for them to, to receive their praise or their um, energy. But then also as a student, you have to know your place as well, that you're there as a student, not, you know, as a best friend or a lover or whatever, right? Potential.
1: Potential lover. (laughs) And of course, those lines get, you know, messy because we've seen lots of relationships start up because of a student-teacher relationship. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very common actually. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, it's part of the Ashta Angas, you know, like try to check yourself and are you are you seeking money from the person? Is that why you wanna why you want them to continue as your student? Are you seeking sex? Are you seeking, you know, all those things that as as teachers, I mean that's why I love the Chiva Mukti teacher program program as well, because you know, all that stuff is really laid out really clearly. And, um, of course, you know, can we all follow it? No, but at least, you know, there's this responsibility laid on ourselves to check ourselves. Um,
2: That's written there into the Jiva Mukti teacher training. What? You mean the... the Like just talking about like modes, like your, your responsibility motivation. and behavior and motivation.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, totally. It's within...
2: Wow. Because I yeah. didn't get that in, in Mysore.
1: <laughs> during the... During the, the special course. The special course. <laughs> right. Well, you know, Sherrod is like of his own unique self and he yeah. he gives these incredible teachings, but it's, it's not... To me, it doesn't seem like organized. It doesn't seem planned out. It doesn't seem like the most important thing he thinks all of us should know, but who knows what he's thinking? You know, like, I mean... I love him and I just feel like he's quite brilliant. But like David and Sharon, they're more like really pragmatic. They're like, this needs to be said first. This needs to be said second, you know, and this needs to be like, there needs to be a, a, you know, a signature that you're going to follow these things. Whereas with Sharad, it's just like, let me tell you about Brahmacharya today, you know?
0: (laughs) It's a little bit of a difference between like the Western approach and the and like a more Eastern approach. If we're to sort of divide the world that way, right? Where yeah, one's more like linear and l- the other one's a little bit more abstract.
1: Right. That's the beauty of it. You know, it's like Guruji touched women and men in strange places, and we, you know, we would have been like, you know, if we had a really strong Western mm-hmm. karmic idea of things, of course, you know, you're going to think this isn't right. And then it depends on like where your karma is going to go next. You know, Mm -hmm. I just, I felt so like he was so grandfatherly towards me, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like that whole level of energy, like totally never was on the plate, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But of course I'm, I'm certainly not, um, you know, there's a lot of people that felt differently.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the complexity of of the that situation with Patabi Joyce or with Guruji is there's, I mean, there was so many students and each person had their own experience and their own perspective and it's not uniform and it's not even necessarily 100% one way or the other way for people, you know, it's very, it's very, um, uh, multi-perspective, I guess.
1: You well, know, this is like, like a diamond. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, this is the, the emptiness perspective in Buddhism. You know, it's like, um, you know, you have a pencil and, you know, you write with it and you call it a pencil and it looks like a pencil. And then your dog comes in to the room and he grabs it and he like pulls it over in the corner and he's just chewing on it the whole time. So, like, is it a pencil or is it a chew toy? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Mm, you know, it's, it's wow. Both.
1: It's both. Yeah. Like, whatever karma you have um, with that person, it's going to arise. And is that who that person is? No, that person is everything.
2: That's a really beautiful. I really like that, that metaphor so much about the pencil. I've never heard that before.
1: Oh, that's it- totally from my teacher, Geshe Michael Roach. So... Um, He's a, a American. I know, Buddhist.
2: I know Geshe Michael Roche. I had a student in England that went to Arizona every couple of months to practice with him. I was going to ask you if you knew Geshe Michael Roche. I didn't. I didn't know that he was actually your teacher.
1: Yeah, I studied with him for probably almost ten years, kind of on and off. But he was like, I met, I met some of his students in New York City about the time I was leaving, and it was so great because he really teaches karma and emptiness and I needed those teachings because I was feeling really like I had had a couple bad experiences and feeling sorry for myself and blah, 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 blah. And then like when I studied karma and emptiness with his students, like he was already in the desert doing this three-year retreat. When I studied with his student, like it really became clear with me. And this is Galupa Buddhism, the same lineage, his holiness, the Dalai Lama is. It became very clear that you know if it's my karma, that means I brought it on, and if it's my karma, I can change it. You know, and that was like, wow, agency. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah. I I got really um, in, just really excited about these teachings, and um, and I've been studying yoga for a long time, but I never heard it so clearly. And so I actually wrote to Geshe and Michael in retreat and um, they invited me out there, of course, you know, on my own time and money, but they invited me out there to come and teach them yoga. (laughs) And so I did that for like a month. And and then that was the beginning of my relationship at um, Diamond Mountain in um, Arizona. And then I moved to Tucson. So it became really uh, easy to study with him.
2: So, he also has had a, an un, unfortunate yes. uh, new, newspaper, uh, disaster. <laughs> newspaper disaster. Newspaper <laughs> uh, disaster. I'm, I'm, public
0: relations disaster. Public relations
2: <laughs> issue. That's what I really, what the word I meant. Um, the, the story that I've heard about him is, that, for example, that the Tibetan monks had come to Arizona and said to him that, you know, wearing your hair long is not part of our tradition. Why are you doing that? Um, is that something that you were aware of or is, do you feel like that there was also an unfair, um, public relations issue with, with Geshe Michael Roche?
1: Oh, it's such a long and detailed, um, event, but really what that to me, it seems like the gist of it was, was that Geshi Michael was a tantric pr- practitioner and he mm-hmm. didn't want to hide it. And he didn't want to hide that he had a consort and he didn't mm-hmm. care who knew, and mm-hmm. and that's what he believed in. And um, more traditionalists, you know, say all uh, oh, these practices are secret, and you're right. you're setting people up for doing really intense secret practices when they're not prepared to do those practices. And so, oh. um, and so, you know, a lot of people ousted him, but he. I mean, he raised so much money for, for his monastery in, um, you know, Balacupe outside, um, Mysore. Yeah. Yeah. that was his, um, Sarah J was his main monastery. And he, oh, just, yeah, Sarah J. Monastery. he was a, he was in the diamond business and he gave so much money. And of course, but then he's going against their rules. And so there was this huge division and then all across the world, especially in the U S uh, people just didn't didn't want anything to do with him anymore.
2: That's so interesting because I I had heard that he had said something along the lines of, uh, you know, guys, the this Vajrayana, a, um, uh, Ashtanga yoga practice that you guys keep secret, you know, they're all doing it out and out in the West. Like they're already all doing it. It's no longer secret. Oh, like the the Yantra yoga, the
0: Yantra yoga, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know a lot and, and I probably know, I'm probably confused about what I do know, but I think that, you know, the idea of keeping your practices and your accomplishments secret is something that is in the Hatha Yoga Pradipika. And, um, you know, if you look on Instagram and Facebook, (laughs) you know, and social media, it's like everybody is advertising their, um, specialness. And I think, you know, that's just where we're at in the world. Like everybody really wants to be acknowledged and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, like we all want to be seen, but really what is it? It's an undivided wholeness. That's what we are. And that's what yoga practitioners ultimately should, I think, want to see. That's what I want to see is that we're together in this place you know, and everything we do is affecting each other. And so how can uh, I not be reactive? Like when something bad, negative, I consider like somebody affronted me. How can I deal with that in a way which is not punitive or going to cause some damage in my world? Right. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean like, I'm not going to, you know, if I get raped, I'm not going to go to the police. It means that I really take care of my karmas and I feel like that's the most important part of my spiritual life to do that work. And then like the pointing the finger thing, it, you really have to, Mm. you know, you have to really be careful about that. Yeah.
2: You know, Kiki said that to us last week, she said, you know, pointing the finger really got exhausting (laughs) <laughs> and she got really tired of it. And so she's decided to move on from that kind of stuff. But for us as young students, I have to say that we really appreciated it when Kiki would point the finger at us and say, you guys have got to figure this out. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, and, and I think that's what happened to me is like, I, you know, I, I was told these are the rules and then I immediately went to England and terrorized my students with them.
0: <laughs> you were so, ready to play ball. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah I was.
0: <laughs> so you became and what? What's the official title? You studied with Visant Lad in New Mexico,
1: right? Yes, I am
3: mm-hmm.
1: a twenty-year student with Doctor Lad and wow. he's such an incredible incredible being like he's a, he's such a light being. And so I highly recommend to go and meet him. Um, and he's a, you know, he's a physician many times over in different fields of Ayurveda. And then, you know, he was like brought over here by his, his students, I think in the seventies. And so, um, yeah, I'm just so in love with Ayurveda. I, I, I met him in New York City, and he was like speaking to doctors. And I went to this hospital, and you know, I was in the audience, and somebody asked this question, and I was thinking to myself, "That's such a stupid question." You know, you know how you do that, sometimes? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and Doctor Laud was like, oh, "I love this question. This is such a beautiful question. This question brings." joy to my heart. (laughs) And I was like, wow. I was like, I've got to go and study with this guy. He's just, you know, he's on another plane. Yeah. Mm. When I
0: first started uh, getting into yoga and like really getting into Ashtanga yoga in, I guess maybe 2002 or three, I really um, was interested in Ayurveda as well. And I bought his, uh, I think they were like CDs at the time, all about Ayurveda because he was, um, he had some books and, and I fell in love with him too. And the way he speaks, you did a really nice impression because he's so light and buoyant in everything he says and he's just adorable.
1: Yeah. He breaks out into song and he even (laughs) kind of, you know, he even kind of dances a bit when he does the songs. And so, um, that was in 98, and I kind of, like, I had this idea, like, if, if the yoga can do this much for me, if I study Ayurveda, that's it. I am going to become enlightened for sure. And so that was my impulse. It wasn't really that generous of an impulse. <laughs> 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 it was basically about my own enlightenment. Um, and So, uh, yeah, that was 98. I stayed there till like 2001. And I went to India with him for about, well, this is kind of funny. I went to Pune with him for it. And it was supposed to be six weeks. And it was so intense. It was so dirty. It was so like, like, we would take this bus out into the boonies like three times a week. And it was like, you were just... You were like the windows were open, and you were bouncing like a jelly bean, like up and down, all over the place. The the bus was terrible, and then you'd get out to this place in the boonies, and you you sit with him for like six hours, seeing really sick people, and oh, then wow. then you'd come home, and he'd be like, "See you for class tonight," and I'd be like, "What? Oh
3: <laughs> my god! Oh my
1: god! Like it was just so rigorous, and um." And so after four weeks, I had a good friend who was doing her sabbatical in Mysore. And I was like, um, Barbara, can I come and stay with you? And she was like, sure. And so, um, and Guruji oh, was still. Me. No, it was uh, Bar- my friend Barbara Henning, who's a poet. And she's really involved in, um, you know, Hinduism and poetry, uh, transatlantic. And so, anyways. I stayed with her and Guruji was teaching, and I kind of just skipped out on the last two weeks of my time in Pune.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're like, okay, I, I need to rest a little.
1: Yeah, you know, it's like, it's something, you know, these people who are really just cued into what other people need, you know, like yeah. the bodhisattva ideal. It's like, I'm really kind of most of the time thinking about my enlightenment, which is good. You know, if I get enlightened, I'm sure it will be helpful instead of harmful. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I couldn't really hang with it. And they had these electronic signs in Pune that said, you know, the pollution level. Oh, yeah. It was so different than Mysore. Like Mysore was like this like palatial, like exotic, beautiful place compared to Pune. They'd have these signs that said, if it's over 95, it's high danger. And it would be like 395.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah,
1: it was like incredible. And Dr. Ladd, he was like, I've, at the time, he was probably in his early 80s. And he was just like so joyful and like running to and fro. And he's very, you know, he's got my similar constitution. He's a Vata predominant. But you know there's something about those spiritual warriors that can just go to any place and create goodness yeah.
2: can Can people practice with you with with uh, as, with you as an Ayurvedic doctor there in Arizona?
1: Well, I'm not an Ayurvedic doctor. I'm an Ayurvedic consultant practitioner. I, there's a kind of an exam that you have to take to get that level and um you know, what I feel like i probably do best is, um, you know, like I'm a cheerleader of choosing the right habits. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of people know so much about Ayurveda, but it's about our habits and our choices and what's under those habits is deep psychological stuff. Cause you know, a lot of times people know, Oh, I shouldn't eat pizza, beer, and ice cream. I I guess I know that, you know, I think most people, most people kind of know that, but (laughs)
2: especially if you
1: study the yoga, you know, Yeah, what then drives someone to keep,
2: keep doing the same thing.
1: Exactly. So like, I feel like that's kind of like my best, um, place in the Ayurvedic realm, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still studying. I'm still fascinated by it. I still like the daily routine. It's so incredible how much stuff you can do to take care of yourself. And of course, that idea is that if I'm prepared for the world, then, um, I'll be more of a healing bomb in the world versus, you know, a harmful, destructive, uh, negative force. And so, um, but it's intense, you know, like so much of the stuff is done before the sun rises. Now, you of course, like I learned this I started learning this in 1998. And of course, over the two decades, I've gotten more serious. But at the first, if you could just change one habit and, and turn it into a good habit and then stick with it for some time, what happens is that that new habit really becomes joyful. You know, we really like scraping my tongue. Oh my God. I just love scraping my tongue. <laughs> you know, the first time you scrape your tongue, it's like you gag, you almost want to throw up. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, now it's like, I'm kind of slightly addicted to scraping my tongue. You know, if I see any if that toxins on there, you know? So yeah. So, I think that's the same thing with healthy food. You know, first time you eat seaweed, you're like, eh, what is seaweed, you know? But then, (laughs) like, (laughs) then you're like, oh, I want the arame and I want it with the, you know, the carrot ginger sauce. And you're like very excited to take care of yourself in a way because you're feeling the benefit.
3: Right. Yeah. Right.
0: What does, what does like a full Ayurvedic, um, plan look like or practice look like?
1: Well it's mostly about the morning routine because that kind of sets the day and it's seen like the morning time is seen um, from birth to the to childhood. So white like to 16 years. So that time is really when we when we are naturally born we don't have a lot of say. You know, we have the karma to land, I mean, if you believe in these things, we have the karma to choose our parents and to land in that womb. But then it's like, you know, my mom, like you see pictures of her, like with a cigarette in one hand and a and a glass of wine in the other, and she's pregnant with me. And I'm like, <laughs> <Right.
2: Yeah. laughs> absolutely.
1: So, you know, once we come, once we're in gestation and then we are, Birthed. We still don't have a lot of say. We're babies. We're like totally, you know, they're our lifeline, and so a lot of trauma can happen at that time, and so shifting that trauma can often happen in a circadian rhythm with the early morning hours, and so really most of it is focused on those hours between, um, you know, what Patavi Joyce used to say, you should be done with your practice by five thirty.
3: Right.
1: Wow! Right, like that was yeah. so crazy when I heard that first. I was like, Why "Are you crazy?" You right. know, like because I was like, "If I can get up for the 10 a.m. class, <laughs> right?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's a lot to shift your routine to the morning time. But as a practitioners, we really have a, a an in on that realm. And then once, you know, you're up and you've done something by time sunrise comes, it's so beautiful, right? Like usually at this point in my life, my meditation is always, um, either before or right at sunrise. And it's so like, it's so quiet. It's so peaceful. It's like, I'm setting myself up for the perfect date with consciousness now, you know, you can spoil a perfect date, right? But still, <laughs> you're like, you're setting yourself up. You're getting your parameters all ready. You're like, got the roses. You got the incense. You got whatever it takes um, out of your own cleaning yourself, right? Whatever it takes, you're there. You're ready. And then something really great might happen.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful.
1: Especially for people who really had traumatic beginnings. This is this can be a, a, a such a salve. But you know we we resist it, we're scared to change. You know life is already maybe really challenging, and if I do something like give up late nights and set my alarm two hours early or even one hour earlier, it could bring benefit, but it could just you know shake up my world too much right mm-hmm. yeah, and I think
3: people
0: often feel really overwhelmed and exhausted already, and it seems like. Getting up a little earlier is just gonna make you feel more overwhelmed and exhausted.
1: Exactly, and that's why it's like you just you don't want to try to do the whole thing. You just pick one or two things that sounds groovy, and you go with that. Like you know the daily oil bath. So, do you guys ever do that? The abhyanga every day. Well, do you ever do it? I said, <laughs>
0: I, I, I have done,
1: yeah. <laughs> but not,
0: not recently. Yeah. So what are your ages?
2: Oh, I'm 45 and Harmony is um, 41. young. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> okay. So you're still in your pitta time of your life. So yeah. you're still in this main, like there's a force of drive of, heat of cooking life, of like digesting and assimilating, absorbing it and like promoting yourself as like this, this being in life. And then, so, so that time of life is usually very busy and, mm. um, you know, it's not generally until the latter part of your life that you really, you, you kind of, you're dying for something like the oil bath. But it's also seasonally. So we could say that it's the fall season that the oil bath is so important because it's lubrication, right? And lubrication on deep levels. And not only do you lubricate with this oil bath, you do the oil, you put it on your body first, and then you take the hot shower, the hot bath. And so then the steam dries or the heat drives the oil, the lubrication into your deeper tissues and so what wow. do you get out of it? Well, you get so many things, but you get a well lubricated spine that's jerk resistant. You know, and that's what I think everybody, like I used to think of that song the Coke commercial, you know, if I could offer something to the world, it'd be an yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the oil bath. The oil bath. If I could give somebody to everything to everybody in the world, it'd be the oil bath because it's okay. so it has so many different amazing aspects to it, but, you know, just like life jerking us around. Uh, it's, it's incredible for that. It it's, you know, it's a detox, it's nourishment, it's protection from electromagnetic waves. It's just got so many, um, anti-aging, so many good things to it. So if
0: we wanted to do that, we should get up, what kind of oil should we use? We get up and we just put the oil on and then have the shower.
1: Well, it depends on what your constitution is. Now, I'm pretty 100%, 100%, that's a lot, maybe 90%, (laughs) that you guys are both pitta predominant. Am I right?
0: I have a lot of pitta going on, yes. I, and, and Russell's I, uncertain, but I believe he has a lot of pitta going on also. I might, oh, be, I, a
2: tridosh- I might be a
1: tridosh- <laughs> it's possible. Maybe. You know, tridoshik means like you can be tridoshic where nothing bothers you, or you can be tridoshic like everything bothers you.
2: Right. Okay. So
1: like one time I read Richard Freeman's Pulse, and um, he's tridoshic. Yeah. Yeah. But nothing really bothers him, or at least it looks like that way to me, right? right. Hmm. So, um, So vata, pitta, kapha are all equal if you're tridoshic. And you can be like, say, say your mother was raped and she went ahead with the birth anyways. So that could be like a really, really traumatic beginning. And then you could be tridoshically imbalanced. And so like hmm. everything everything sets off your doshas. Because the doshas, you know, the vata, pitta, kapha, they are the controllers and they heal us. They keep us safe when they're in balance. And when they're out of balance, they cause havoc. Hmm. So anyways, um, if you're pitta predominant and maybe it's the hot season, you want to use a cooling oil like coconut. If you're uh, vata or Kaffa and you're, you're more cold, like you're the first one to put your sweater on in a situation, in a social situation, then, you know, you want to use a warming oil. So like for vata, sesame is always good. And, <laughs> and then, you know, like say you're not sure if you're hot or cold, but you want the lubrication. You can mix oils. You can use herbs in your oils. Like there's a great company called Banyan Botanicals. Um, they have so many banyan botanicals.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, banyan, banyan. botanicals. Yeah. yeah,
1: they're awesome. They're E Corp, which means they're you know they go through all these loops to, you know, really they're a service corporation. They're serving others and they're serving the planet. But anyways, they have great medicated oils like we used to buy in um, Mysore, or maybe you yeah. still do. I haven't been there in a while. Ashwagandha bala.
2: So ashwagandha
1: is like the male uh, ginseng of Ayurveda. It's like for strength. Guruji always used to tell me, you go go get some ashwagandha bala oil. Mm. (laughs) Wow. And you'll grow those
0: muscles in no time.
1: (laughs) And eat 10 chapatis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you can choose oils. Like the more you know, or you can use essential oil with your oil, and then you massage it on. And there's different ways you can massage it, but you really want to be safe, you know, because if you put it in a glass container and the oil is slippery, like that's the most important thing that you're safe with it, and you really are not clumsy like me in the kitchen, and right. <laughs> um, and you do it before your shower. Because mm-hmm. it's going to detox you with the heat. If you put the oil on after the shower, it will kind of more like it will it will be a transdermal application. Like your your derm, your skin will get benefits, but um, it will go deeper if you do it with the steam. So like I have a steam box for my clients and I put them in the steam box with herbs.
2: Oh, I'd love to. I'd love that. Yeah,
1: that sounds oh, you guys. Somebody. Wonderful.
2: I'd love to be shoved into a box. And it's steamed. so
1: fun. It's, i had it made and yeah. it's like all wood. It really looks ancient. Anyways, but you got to be careful and there's certain precautions like, you know, you don't want to do it when you're menstruating because you're, you're already detoxing. You don't want to do it when you're really sick because you're already detoxing. You don't want to do it if your digestive fire is really low because you're phlegmy and you might just, again, clog up your system. So you kind of got to know who it's right for. But I tell you, ever since I learned this practice in 98, it's been such a joy and a, a salve for, for my body and my constitution. And, you know, I'm knocking on wood, but I'm very rarely sick. And I used to be sick all the time as a child. Wow. That's incredible.
2: Wow. Well, we would really love to come visit you.
0: Yeah. Tell, tell us and tell our listeners where we can find out more.
1: Okay. So I would love to have both of you. You're totally invited. <laughs> I'll give you the full, I think I call it, what do I call it? The full body ceremony. You know, somebody told me not to use the word ceremony because it's too <laughs> spiritual, but I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> you know, you have to say Jesus's name, JC when when somebody tells you don't don't be too spiritual. That's um, right. <laughs> yeah.
2: Jesus Christ.
1: So anyways, um, it's LisaShrump.com. That's my website. Yeah. Super. Easy to remember. Yep. And I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, you know, I still do see clients. Um, I kind of do a little bit of a questionnaire with them. I wear mask and um uh I kind of stick to people who I know, but, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm still kind of working it in COVID. I still want to provide as much as I can. Perfect.
2: Well, well thank you. You're such yeah. a fascinating person, and, oh, and it's great to get to know you great. better. And so thank you so much for talking with <laughs> us. Yeah,
0: thank you so much. It was so riveting. I can't wait to have another discussion with you again one day well
1: even if it's not here in my home let's have some chai that would be wonderful
0: i would love it and oh. you make your own chai too which is oh i do yes. yes
3: i love it
0: <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of finding harmony with me your host harmony slater you can find out more information on my website harmonyslater.com and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
3: Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves, there's a hard wind and the soil.